Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable from the birds. I left New York yesterday. I got home last night after the longest train ride ever. Oh my God. It was supposed to take three hours. It took four and a half. Some mechanical something failure, like we sat on the train and didn't move. Very much enjoyed New York. I stayed at the Virgin Hotel in Nomad on 30th and Broadway. Might be my new favorite hotel. They put me on the 36th floor. I think is their top floor. They gave me a corner room. So I had a little more space than you might usually get in New York. But the views, the views, some of the most beautiful views I've seen of the city. I could see sunrise on one side and sunset on the other. I slept with my windows open. I'm sure the people across from me could see me in all my black American glory. I hope they enjoyed the view because I did. They had four days of looking at my ass. Hope they liked it. Loved New York. Loved New York. Four days was just enough. I recorded, what, last Friday? I told you about going to see Rustin. On Friday, I got up. I met one of my, um, technically a friend. I call him my cousin, Jason. And I always make sure to spend a day with him when I go to New York. We do a good run through Brooklyn for old time's sake. I met him at the Brooklyn Museum. I was late as hell. I decided to take the subway because of the time of day. I figured it was faster than trying to take a cab. It's also $50 to get from Broadway and 30th to Brooklyn Museum. It used to be $50 to go from Brooklyn to 125th. I'm like, now $50 only gets you to 30th? Okay, New York. Got lost on the subway, which I was embarrassed as a former New Yorker. I lived in this city for almost 20 years, like literally 17 years. I have been dying to get to Brooklyn Museum to go to the African Fashion Exhibition, which was really, really, really good. Very comprehensive, very big. It took me maybe 90 minutes to get through the whole thing. That's how much stuff they have on display. Not just clothes, also accessories, but also influences on African fashion, like the end of colonialism for a bunch of countries all at the same time in the 1960s. Also big entertainers that popularized African fashion. A lot about wax prints and fabrics. It was really, really, really good. I would say they gave the African fashion exhibit the Dior treatment. Remember I went to see Dior at the Brooklyn Museum and I could not stop talking about it. I was like, this is one of the best fashion exhibits I've ever seen. The curators did an amazing job. I mean, obviously they can't capture everything, but they captured a whole, whole lot. It's definitely worth a visit if you haven't been to see it yet. Also, (laughs) there's a robe on exhibit in the African Fashion Museum. And I was like, are you serious? I bought that robe when I was in South Africa. It's a very expensive robe. It's like the equivalent of a Versace robe, but it's a South African designer. But literally the day before I left, I went and bought that robe. I went to my friend's house and she was still getting dressed when I got there. And she had the robe on or a version of it. And I was like, I love that. Where is that from? You know, every time I go somewhere, I try to get like a piece of jewelry, piece of art when I can. A good piece of fashion, something that'll last a while. A good like artsy piece of fashion, not just something just to have something. But that's my piece from South Africa. But it was really on display in the museum. And I was like, seriously? (laughs) Also at the Brooklyn Museum, my timing could not have been better. There's a Spike Lee exhibit that just opened, I want to say last week. Spike Lee has been keeping, safekeeping, a series of treasures. He's a collector, which I don't think I do, but I'm not really surprised by. But Spike Lee has been collecting or buying up Everything of pop culture significance in his lifetime, everything that's had a great influence on him, a whole bunch of keepsakes 
from all the art that he's made. And he's made an extensive bunch, like the movies, the documentaries, all of that. And sports memorabilia. Anybody who knows anything about Spike Lee knows that he's obsessed with the Knicks, for sure. Boxing as well. Baseball as a whole. Um, but particularly black athletes. So he has tons of memorabilia. Black musicians. Tons of stuff. Everything from one of Prince's guitars. One that was shaped like a cymbal. Rare images of black entertainers. Black icons from the 1960s. Actually, let me go through my phone. I took a bunch of pictures. I'll read you off some of the stuff that's there or the stuff that stood out enough that I took pictures of it. Also, random artifacts from is pre-civil rights accurate? I'm thinking of signs for colored only plus racist memorabilia. He's got a lot of stuff with blackface imagery on it. I'm scrolling through. He's got vintage movie posters from the black exploitation era. He's got a lot of black art. He's got a wanted ad for Angela Davis, which is sitting below Angela Davis on the cover of Time magazine years later. I was like, that's a testament of just keep living if ever I saw one. Like, literally, you go from being wanted by the FBI to the cover of Time magazine. Life. I'm scrolling through my pictures now. Unsurprisingly, but still, like, I completely freaked out when I saw it. Do you remember the Letterman jackets from school days? The ones with G5G? He has those. There's tons of memorabilia from his movies. Tons of memorabilia from the Knicks. Also lots of stuff about hip-hop too. He had a bunch of Biggie stuff. Remember a couple years ago, New York had the um, the Metro cards with Biggie on them? He has those. There's a bunch of original records. He has um, Aretha Franklin's gospel album, Amazing Grace. I wonder if my father has that. He might. There's so much stuff. And going through the museum, it took me two hours to get through the exhibit. And I went through at a medium pace. If I was there alone, I probably would have been more leisurely about it. I would have read every caption and I would have overanalyzed every picture. And the thing that I kept thinking, and I also asked my friend, where did he keep all this stuff? Like, is there a warehouse where Spike Lee just like collects all this stuff and just keeps it? I just want to know where all this stuff has been. And I'm sure this isn't everything. This is just the stuff that he was just like, okay, like, sure, like I'll display it. But I'm sure he kept certain things back. But I'm like... Where are you keeping all this? If he lived in the suburbs, I probably wouldn't ask. But I'm like, you live in New York City. Where's all this stuff been? All this time. The other thought. A lot of this stuff, I would say maybe half of it, he purchased. And I mean like spent big money to get. He has baseball bats and jerseys from the Negro Leagues. So clearly he paid a pretty penny for that. He has movie posters of great movies that were an inspiration to him as an artist or that he just enjoyed. He paid a pretty penny for those. Some of the artwork, the vintage photographs of the black icons, he paid good money for that. The Knicks jerseys, things like that. He might have actually been given a few of those because a lot of them are signed by the players. Paid good money for that. Okay, outside of that, I would say like that's half the exhibit. The other half is stuff that happened during his lifetime and he had seemingly the good sense to tuck it away. Magazine covers, movie posters that came out, like you probably could get them for $4.99, $5.99, no more than 11 I collect movie posters, that's how I know. I think he had the good sense to buy them at the time, and over time, as those movies have become classics, he still has them. But like newspapers from, say, when like Barack was elected, magazine covers of various things, newspapers about him, like he just kept all that stuff. Now, some people would be like, sir, you're a hoarder. It made me think about being more 
diligent about collecting culture. Like I sort of do it already. Every magazine that I've ever written for, I've saved at least one, maybe two copies. All the magazine covers or the magazines that were a really big deal to me, I still have. All the Honey magazines, I have them. All the Suede magazines, I have them. All like the big Vogue covers of any country. Do you remember like 10, 15 years ago, Italian Vogue started doing an annual black girl issue, kept all of those, kept every Vogue with Michelle Obama, Beyonce, or any like major black girl on the cover. I have all of Lupita's covers and Rihanna's from most major magazines. Like I keep stuff like that. But after seeing that Spike Lee exhibit, I was like, yo, I'm going to be more mindful of keeping and then also more diligent about collecting. Like I just mentioned, I do movie posters already, but some of them are rolled up, tucked into like one of those cardboard scrolls in the basement or in the attic. I was like, should I put this stuff somewhere for safekeeping? I mean, God forbid there's a flood or a fire. After we left Spike Lee, we actually had to go get something to eat because neither Jason nor I had food. We were both becoming grumpy. I have a favorite restaurant in Brooklyn. You know, I like to eat bowls of food. They have this salmon skin bowl that is absolutely amazing. Like, I love it. Um, And they have this really good Caesar salad. I mean, everywhere has Caesar salad, but theirs is like, is it like a Caesar with kale? We went to get something to eat and then we went back because we really could have gone from Brooklyn Museum to Brooklyn Library because they're five minutes apart walking. Then we went back to the Brooklyn Library because I wanted to see the Jay-Z exhibit, which was, it wasn't as extensive as it could have been given Jay-Z's 30 plus year career. It it could have been a whole lot more, but I'm also going to give grace because it's in a library and not in a museum. That said, it wasn't everything, but what was there was really dope and it was inspirational as fuck. Like I left the museum and I was like, actually I said to Jay and I was like, this makes me want to create dope shit. And he was like, more dope shit. Correction. And I was like, yes, thank you. Noted. I think he's been successful for so long. He's been disassociated from his origin story. I don't even mean like the, the drug dealing part. I mean, like a lot of people consider him, especially my generation, maybe not so much the younger, but most people consider him the greatest rapper alive, right? He couldn't get a record deal. Like the reason Rockefeller Records, which is the base of all his money, the, whole, the reason the whole thing came into existence is because he was trying to get a record deal with all these other places. And they were like, hmm, hmm, we don't really get it. We don't see it for you. Eh. So he started his own thing. What if Jay-Z listened to the no's he got from record companies? What if he believed he wasn't good enough and was just like, well, fuck it. I guess I just keep selling crack. Then he's just, you know, another crack dealer and he ends up dead or in jail because very few people walk away from that occupation. But I left there very inspired. You know, I'm on this whole like resting shit. I was like, okay, what if we continue not to do the things that we're not excited about, which we probably have no business doing anyway. We as in me, myself and I. What if we continue not to do the shit that we're not excited about that everybody thinks we should be doing? Is there anything that we're actually excited about that we actually could be putting effort for? Like we're inspired. And what are we going to do with this inspiration? Can we channel this inspiration into something productive? We've decided that we can. So I would say announcement coming soon. It's in the comments of my most recent post on, on Instagram. Yeah. There's something coming. It's part of the reason I'm staying later in the country. But that's another story for another day. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Also, while I was in New York, went to two Broadway shows on Saturday. I checked the weather before I went. I saw Saturday was going to be a rainy day in New York. I was like, I hate rain in the city, but nevertheless, I'm headed to New York. So I tried to figure out what to do indoors. So I went to see Pearly Victorious. It's a play from, I think, the 1960s, maybe 70s. It's written by Ossie Davis. Um, It's called Pearly Victorious. Actually, that's not the full title. Pearly Victorious, a non-Confederate romp through the cotton patch. Now to hear this title, you'd be like, girl, what? Look, it's written by Ossie Davis. It's starring Leslie Odom Jr. He's definitely getting another Tony off Pearly Victorious. Y'all, if you are hearing the sound of my voice, Take yourself to, to broadway.org, broadway.com, whatever the site is where you can purchase tickets to Pearly Victorious. I pay $250 Road G Center. After, I'd probably say next month, you're not going to be able to get tickets for under $400. They're going to start charging Hamilton-type money to go see him. He is amazing in this play. He is amazing, and the entire cast is also amazing. I showed up to see him. Wasn't the biggest fan of Hamilton in general. I just, it just didn't do it for me. Also, I never saw the play. When I finally got Hamilton tickets, it was literally the day Broadway shut down for COVID. I saw Hamilton on Disney. I don't think I made it all the way through. Also, I'm not the biggest musical person. I like plays. I like theater. Musicals, tricky. Old school musicals, okay. Soundtracks to musicals, fine. Actually sitting through a musical, Not really my favorite thing, unless I'm super familiar with the music. Remember I saw Tina Turner in London and I saw Temptations in London? Music was fine. No issues. This one's not a musical. That's it. Entire cast, absolutely phenom. Went for Leslie Odom Jr. Even though I didn't particularly care for Hamilton, you can spot talent anywhere. Even if you don't like the material, you can recognize talent. There is this 10-minute soliloquy of Leslie Odom Jr., his character, telling a story. I can't tell you what the story's about because I don't want to ruin the play for you. You know how black folks tell stories? Like a real good black storyteller. 
He's telling this story and the people are reacting to this story and he's telling the story so well. Like I wanted to jump out of my seat. I reviewed the play on my Instagram and I woke up the next morning and Leslie Odom Jr. had sent me a DM. I forget. I write stuff and I forget like how far the reach of the stuff I write is. Luckily, I'm a little less reckless in the things that I say. But I'll tell you what he said. I don't think it's off limits. I won't read you the whole thing. He said of himself in the cast that the production is, quote, so precious to all of us. We feel so divinely blessed that it is touching people like we prayed it would. I was like, oh, oh, oh. You could just tell that the man is in his purpose. Like there's good acting and then there's, there's this. It was so amazing to watch. And then I went and got something to eat. Hillstone, formerly Houston's, because they used to have one in D.C. and they don't have one anymore. When I was in college, my mother used to pick me up every Friday sometimes. And we would go to Georgetown to go shopping and eat at Houston's. It was our mother-daughter thing. She didn't work on Fridays. And I made my schedule so I didn't have classes on Fridays. But that was like our thing. But then they got rid of Houston's. Like there's no Houston's in the whole DMV area. I think the closest one is in Jersey. There were two in New York City. One of them closed. The one on 50th Street. But I went to Houston's. It was like 4 o'clock on a Saturday. They're talking about the wait's an hour and 45 minutes. If you don't get the fuck out of here... I mean, the food is good. It ain't that good. Ain't no hour and 45 wait good. So I sat at the bar. I had my veggie burger with no bun. Honey mustard drizzle. Speaking of chain restaurants, Houston's counts as a chain, right? Y'all been following this story about the girl who wouldn't eat at Cheesecake Factory? I saw a little bit of the video because everybody and their mother was talking about it. Apparently, this woman goes on a date. I think it's the first date. She's an hour late. He had reservations for another restaurant. So they were like, well, no, the reservation's canceled. Go feed yourself elsewhere. So the guy was like, well, look, reservations are canceled. I know you're hungry. We still got to go on this date. Let's just go to Cheesecake Factory. So in the video, which God, I hope it was a skit. I hope no one is this obnoxious. They pull up to the restaurant. He gets out the car, comes around to open her door, and she won't get out the car. She's like, you know, look at me. I am not the caliber of woman that you take the Cheesecake Factory. Like, how could he? She was really upset. So the guy was like, hey, are you, are you not getting out of the car? The guy wasn't black either. Because I feel like if she carried on like that with a black dude, he would have shown his ass a little more. The guy was actually really sweet. But he was like, are you really not getting out of the car? And she was like, no, I'm not getting out the car. And he was like, what seems to be the problem? And she was like, I don't eat at Cheesecake Factory. He's like, what's wrong with Cheesecake Factory? After that, like, I was just done. And I was like, you know what? Everybody is entitled to have their standards, to eat where they want to eat, to not be impressed by things that they are genuinely not impressed with. I take no issue with that. If she don't eat at Cheesecake Factory, then she shouldn't eat at Cheesecake Factory. I think there's a decent way to handle situations like that and speak to people. And this isn't even on some like pick me shit. I'm not saying just be happy a man asked you out. You don't want to go to the place. Don't go to the place. If the place is beneath you, then it's beneath you. Fine. But I'm just like, I don't understand why she didn't tell the man. Can we go somewhere else? Suggest another place that you like to eat at? Or why she didn't just say, hey, not a big Cheesecake Factory fan. Maybe we could reschedule the date for the original place. But like, I'm not really, you know, trying to do Cheesecake Factory. I saw no need. That's why I was hoping it's a skit. I saw no need to put the man in a skit and embarrass him like that. Like he didn't curse you out. He didn't treat you bad. It's not like he tried to take you to like drive through at Wendy's or some shit. He didn't try to play you like he tried to feed you because you were late and y'all missed the first reservation. I was like, please let this be a skit. Please, please let this be a skit. 
Maybe I'm a bird. Because I like the Cheesecake Factory. I came home today from the eye doctor. My mama had avocado egg rolls sitting on the counter. And I was like, my girl, my girl, go mom. I was like, did you get shrimp bistro pasta? And she was like, what? I said, you know my order. It's like avocado egg rolls and shrimp bistro pasta and like cookie dough cheesecake. And so she was like, oh, you've been gone. I forgot. I think she's a little testy with me. My Broadway day was something typically when me and my mother, this is like when I was like a kid, me and my mom would either drive up or take the Amtrak to New York for the day. And we would go shopping, get something to eat, go to a Broadway show and come back. Get something to eat was always at Houston's. Like that was our spot. I text my mom after I saw Leslie Odom Jr. and was like, oh my God, this play is like amazing. And she was like, you went to Broadway? And I was like, yeah, I went to see Pearly Victorious. And it's like this Aussie day. She's like, I know what it is. Oh, okay. So I got to Houston's and I sent it to her. And I was like, oh my God, like I went to Houston's and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, now you're at Houston's? She was like, you're having a mother-daughter day without a mother. She feels away. I think that might be why. She was like, oh, I don't know your order anymore. She got me the avocado egg rolls, which are my favorite thing. But my shrimp bistro pasta. I was like, that girl who was mad at at Cheesecake Factory. I was like, girl, have you never had the shrimp bistro pasta? That's good eating. She really could have had some cookie dough cheesecake and some rosé and lived a good life. I mean, it would be fine for me. She said she don't like it. She don't like it. I'm not mad at her for not liking it. I'm just mad. She was like, she was very rude to old boy. If he act like a dick, match energy. No issue. But he was really sweet. And I was like, I don't see a need to be rude to people when they're really sweet. I ain't saying you got to eat the Cheesecake Factory. I'm not saying you got to go on a coffee date, which I don't advocate for. Just whatever. I think that's cheap. But if you want to go, go. That's just my thing. That's my line in the sand. I don't coffee date. You want to get to know me? We can have a phone conversation. You want to get to spend time with me? Ask me on a proper date. Men who are actually like remotely into you, who actually want to get to know you, have no issue planning a date or spending money on you. They like it, in fact. I could tell you about some things, but I had to stop talking about the people I date to y'all because people just run and make all sorts of wild, grossly inaccurate assumptions. And I'd be like, where y'all get this shit from? Y'all be watching too much Tyler Perry or some shit. Mm. It ain't no damn coffee dates. They actually plan shit. Or they just tell me to plan it and they pay for it. The niggas that ask you on coffee dates don't really like you. Just FYI, they're wasting their time and yours. Stop dating people who are only mildly interested. You'll have less experiences, but the ones that you have will be your higher quality. That's my big sis, older cousin, auntie advice that I'm giving today. Oh my God. Sidebar. I went to the optometrist today. I thought the last time I had been was, this sounds really bad. Stay with me. Was 2019. They were like, no, it's 2017. So I have the same glasses from 2017. I get there. There's a young black woman who does like the pre-test, the moment they blow the puff in your eyes, all of that stuff. She says, "Um, do you have your glasses with you today? And I said, in fact, I do. So I pulled my glasses out of my purse and she said, what are these? I said, what's wrong with my glasses? They're very beautiful glasses. They're camo frames. They're of high quality. And I think they're really cute. She was like, I'm sure they were cute in 2017. She's a young girl, like her early 20s. She still speaks with her baby voice. She doesn't speak with her bass yet. And she was like, no, you can't wear these glasses. She was like, you're too cute to wear these glasses. I was like, you really don't like my glasses? And she was like, no, these are auntie glasses. <gasps> She was like, you're cuter than this. You need more modern frames. She's like, you have this beautiful hair. You have this beautiful face. She was like, you don't look like auntie. But when you put these glasses on, yes. So I looked at some other frames and I found a pair that I liked. And then I tried on my pair because I was like, no, this makes no sense. I will not be peer pressured into new glasses. And then I tried on my frames. And I was like, oh, they look a little... 
feeling a little Oprah Gale-ish. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with Oprah and Gale. I just don't want to have the style of like a 60-something-year-old woman. Oprah and Gale are old enough to be my mama. They are very fashionable and lovely women. They look very age-appropriate and very beautiful. So I bought new glasses. It's some nigga shit, too. It's some stunt and shit. I did not buy them for the stunt. I bought them for the shape. They were the only glasses that had that shape that I really liked. I sent a picture to my bestie, and he was like, when the album coming out? And I was like, really? Really? He was like, That's not the point. The point is, I went to see Jaja's African hair braiding. It's very rare that like a black woman playwright is on Broadway. The playwright is Jocelyn Bio. I'm like 98% sure that she also wrote Schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls play. I saw that one when I was in London too. And it just dawned on me when I was watching Jaja's. I was like, there's something about the cadence and the rhythm of it. And I was like, is this the same chick? It is. Both of them were phenomenal in different ways. The same way I said, get thee to a theater for Pearly Victorious, get thee to a theater for Jaja's African braiding. It's really, really good. If you've ever sat in an African braiding salon, if you've ever gone to a black beauty salon anywhere, it's all the same drama, slightly different characters, different origin stories, but it's all the same people. Black women are black women are black women. Very different than Pearly. And also, in addition to, extremely well-written, funny as hell, and a great, great storyline with a twist that I didn't see coming. And I don't want to tell you anything about it because I went in completely blind. I don't want to ruin it for you in any way. But really, 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 really good. It's very much an immigrant experience and it encompasses the African diaspora. Mine is Brazil because they speak Portuguese. So they often get left out of the discussion. Also, one day, remind me to talk about the difference between immigrants and expats. I mean, there really is no difference. But who gets labeled immigrant versus who gets labeled expat and the difference in how they're treated is very... Well, it's a conversation worth having. I should probably have it with somebody else. What else is on our list? Oh, I went to the Sherry show yesterday. One of my really, really good friends, John Murray. John has been on the show at least two times, maybe three. But John is now the EP, or has been for a while now, for the Sherry Shepherd show. He and Sherry have been besties for like 20 some odd years. But I hit up John. I ran into him at the D-Nice show a couple weekends ago at the Kennedy Center. But I told him I was coming to New York and I was like, I want to come to Sherry. So I did. It was really, really good. I don't have much to compare it to because I think it's my first time being like in a talk show audience. I used to do daytime TV all the time, but I was like on the couch. I wasn't in the audience. It's freezing. I don't think it was 60 degrees in that studio. I think it was more like 50. The music was hella loud, like club level loud. You know, on daytime TV, everyone's like super peppy and super energetic, like because it's morning. I think they freeze in the audience and like blast in the bass to keep everybody like awake and energetic. My mom watched Sherry. She was like, I saw you standing up clapping and dancing. And she was like, that's not really you. And I was like, it was cold. I had to keep moving. One of the segments was Chef Kwame. He's a celebrity chef. He was on one of the big cooking shows. Was it Top Chef? I don't know. I don't really watch the cooking shows like that. I'm like, I can look at you, prepare the food, but I can't like eat it. Like, how do I know if it's good? I mean, the judges can tell me if it's good, but like, I want to taste it for myself. I'm just not like a big like cooking show type person, but it's a huge market. People love that shit. And also, I didn't realize it until after I posted about it. He used to have a restaurant when the wharf in DC first opened. He used to have a restaurant there. It didn't stay open very long, but I did go once and the food was absolutely amazing. 
It had a great location. The restaurant was very sexy. Ambiance was amazing. You would stop by there. You never know who you would see hanging out at the bar. It was a really, really cute place. It just didn't last. And I don't think that's a reflection of him. For whatever reason, restaurants in that space don't tend to last. There's a really high turnover. That's not the point. The point is Chef Kwame has a restaurant in New York. I think it opened late last year. New York Times named it Tatiana's, the best restaurant in New York City. So the wait list for this place is at least 30 days. I've talked to people who are like, I've been trying for months to get a reservation, still can't get in. When I was hitting up my friends, telling them I was coming to New York, I wanted to do something and stuff and whatever. One of the people was Bevy. And I was like, what are we doing? When are we getting together? And she was like, well, have you heard of Tatiana's? And I was like, actually, yes. Several people have mentioned it to me, but you can't get reservations for months. And Bevy was like, yes, it's very difficult. And I was like, well, I'd love to go, but like, how do we get in? Like, who do I call? Bevy was like, no, say less. I'll make a call. So she got us reservations Friday night, prime time. Same chef is on Sherry. I was like, I feel like, is this what they call serendipity? I was like, this man keeps popping up on my radar. The food is really, really good. Like I had the branzino. It's like fried branzino. And then there was like some fried okra. That's way too much fried food. But that okra was good as shit. I'm trying to think the other Sherry segments. What's the guy that just quit? The black guy? Daily Show. Roy Wood Jr. That's his name. He was doing Trevor Noah's old job, but he was doing it as a guest. But I guess he'd been doing it for a while and they hadn't hired him. They were still auditioning other people. So Sherry was his first interview after quitting. And he explained it in a way that made perfect sense because everybody was like, why didn't you just stay? They seem to like you. You could have got the job. And he was like, I mean, I still could. It's possible. He compared it to you're dating someone. They've been dating you for a while. It's, it's about time to make a commitment and they don't want to commit. So you got to back away and be like, I respect where you are. I'm looking for something more serious. Go ahead and, and you keep dating around. If you ever get serious and I'm available, reach out and maybe we could work something out. But as for now, like I've given you my best and you're not willing to commit. So I got to move on because I want a commitment from somebody. I was like, oh, well, when you put it like that. Also, yes, I know the drama concerning Chef Kwame. I don't care. That food was fucking amazing. I'm like, sir, as long as you keep making the Branzino the way you do, date who the fuck you want to date. I just, I'm I'm taking the same stance Monique had about Jada Pinkett Smith. Monique was on some radio show this week and they asked her, you seen all the drama with Jada Pinkett Smith and and all the things that people are saying about her and Will? They said, "What, what is your take on Jada? And Monique said, it's not my business. And I was like, yo, keep this energy, Monique. Keep this energy. This is the energy we've been wanting from you. Because the commentary about the bonnets, that wasn't it. That wasn't the energy we wanted. The the last comedy show, we're not going to talk about it anymore. We talked about it at the time. We're going to move on. That wasn't the energy that we wanted from you. This energy, this is good energy. This is the version of Monique that I would like to root for. I saw some folks say, they were like, Monique is so inconsistent because sometimes she says this and sometimes she says that. And I was like, what you call inconsistency, what you call hypocrisy, I see possible growth this is when i wish i was filming the podcast you could see me doing the growth signal remember the girl on insecure kelly she was talking about something she was like growth and she raised her hand up and i was like that's how i feel about monique i feel like we're witnessing growth i hope it's the case i actually don't have any more thoughts about jada at this time i went to barnes and noble around i would say five o'clock i got the last copy they had in stock the book just came out today I'm going to reserve any additional commentary on Jada Pinkett Smith until after I've read the book. I need context. Also, I want to know what else she has to talk about because 
I mean, this is the case whenever anybody does promo. You talk about the salacious things that get people to pick up the book. It's no different than a trailer from a movie. They're going to give you some big scenes, a lot of drama to get you to tune in. This is basic promo 101. But I want to see like what else Jada has to say. I, the book is fat. It's 403 pages. I imagine all of them can't be about her marriage to Will and her dealings with Tupac. I imagine there's much more to her life than those two things. So I want to read it and see what else she has to say. I may dedicate a full episode of the podcast to this book. I'll make a decision after I've read the first hundred pages. No promises. I should also add that Monique, it's important to know your blind spots. I feel really good that Monique is learning hers. It's taken a while. All of us learn at different paces. Monique has overshared or shared because I feel overshared has bias to it. I'm not trying to be biased in this moment. But Monique has shared about her marriage before and some of the ongoings with her and her husband. The marriage was open. The marriage was closed. Monique has talked about her sexuality and things like that. You know, Monique is not a lot of people's favorite either. She knows better than most the position that Jada Pinkett Smith is in right now with so many people being so viscerally and loudly angry with her. So I think declaring that she will mind her business was an excellent answer for that interview. Also, I think it's worth mentioning a lot of folks are really like up in arms over Jada Pinkett Smith, which I don't have to tell you if you participate in the internet in any fashion, you've seen it. Will Smith seems not to give two fucks about this whole thing. He's done two different Instagram posts, basically saying that he's in the middle of nowhere. One of them said notifications off. Meanwhile, his comments were on, but okay. Somebody else could be posting for him. It's not like he doesn't have assistance. The other one the frame started out on him and then like zoomed all the way out so that you're like looking at the world. Basically saying he's in the, the middle of nowhere and hard to reach. He really don't care. And in just in case that wasn't enough, he sent a statement to the New York Times. They did an interview about Jada. Let me see if I can find this. I'm reading it on Vanity Fair. Because you know, the New York Times, you got to pay for it. But Vanity Fair has good excerpts. They report, Smith said that his wife's memoir made him realize that she's lived a life more on the edge than he'd realized. He continued, when you've been with someone for more than half your life, a sort of emotional blindness sets in and you can all too easily lose your sensitivity to their hidden nuances and subtle beauties. There's more to this quote than that. Hold on. Actually, I'm on the New York Times right now. They're letting me scroll. Oh, no, they're not. Okay, yes, they are. Her pictures look amazing. Can I ask a question without being rude? I don't mean no types of rudeness. This is a genuine question, right? Jada has been diagnosed with alopecia. Her hair came out. It wasn't growing back. In the most recent pictures to promote this book, Jada has hair. The hair is blonde. You see where I'm going with this? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a cosmetologist. I am somebody who's bleached their hair on multiple occasions, professionally and like at home. I've had similar cuts to Jada off and on for most of my life. And on multiple occasions, I've bleached it platinum blonde. You can't get platinum blonde without bleach. Even with Olaplex or Opalex, whatever it's called, because I use that too. It's more gentle on your hair than just using like bleach without it. But it's still bleach on your head. It's a chemical. And with your hair that short, it's not like you're bleaching the ends and it's never touching your scalp. You're getting bleach on your scalp. There's no way around it. 
Is that healthy for alopecia? It would strike me as no. I'm sure she has the best people in the business, the best professionals working on her hair. And still I ask, is there a professional way to use bleach on your head when you have alopecia? A genuine question. Genuine question because I don't know. Not a doctor, not a scientist, not a cosmetologist. Genuine question. It would strike me as bleach on your scalp would not be good for a condition like alopecia. But what do I know? Also, we were talking about this on my Facebook page. It came up in the conversation about the bleach and the alopecia. One of my readers asked, she was like, the body always keeps score. I wonder if Jada releasing this memoir and getting all this stuff that they've been keeping and hiding and pretending and facading and all of this. I wonder if that has anything to do with the alopecia. You know, she and Will are trying to figure their things out and she's hiding all these secrets and her hair is gone. And now she's letting the secrets out and, and telling the world her truth. And now the hair is back. Do you think it's related? I was like, it could be. I got shingles during the separation. Then going through the divorce, I get sciatica. Finally divorced the man. I ain't had shingles or sciatica since. I really wonder if Jada's hair is related to the stress of whatever else is going on in her life. Will Smith, New York Times statement. What else do I need to search to find this? Okay, I'm trying to find it in Variety now. Variety has a different version of the quote. They're quoting the same letter. They're just quoting different parts. They say Smith expressed that Pinkett Smith's revelations about their marriage in her memoir, quote, woke him up. She is more resilient, clever, and compassionate than he'd understood. He talks about being with someone in more than half the life, emotional blindness. Variety also quotes, and you can all too easily lose your sensitivity to their hidden nuances and subtle beauties. I swear there was more to it than this. The quote that I'm trying to find is basically Will said that he would have acted different had he known what he realized about her after reading her memoir. You just now feeling like you're getting to know her? That's a hell of a blind spot, bruh. That's not the only memoir I picked up. I picked up Pinky Cole's book, Pinky Cole from Slutty Vegan. That used to be my first stop. Like as soon as I landed in Atlanta, I go pick up my car and drive straight to Slutty Vegan. But she has a book called I Hope You Fail. 10 hater statements holding you back from getting everything you want. The quote on the back of the book is, there are no limits. People used to tell me when I was growing up, the sky's the limit. She says, the sky is not the limit. There's so much above what the sky can offer. She would know. And then I have Walk Through Fire by Sheila Johnson, formerly of BET. She was married to a man named Bob. Maybe you've heard of her. They, together, with investment money from Sheila, started BET. When she and Bob went their separate way, she took half because she had put up the front money for BET. She is America's first black female billionaire with a B. So she wrote a memoir of love, loss, and triumph. The DC circles are talking very much about it. Because you know we all go hang out at, um, what's her resort? I used to go out there for lunch. I might go out there while I'm here. I think she's building another one in DC. Why can I not remember the name of this resort? They got horses. Salamander. I think they're opening a Salamander DC. Or is it already open? It's a five-star hotel. Apparently it is already open. Home to the renowned Salamander Spa steps away from the nation's most cherished monuments. Oh, it's the former Mandarin Oriental. Okay, I know exactly where that is. But yes, I'm going to read Sheila Johnson's book. 
Am I remembering this right? Did she marry the judge that oversaw her and Bob's divorce? I'm reading the back of her book too. It says, these days, I'm a successful businesswoman, a happy wife, a mother and grandmother. It might look from the outside like I had it easy, riding the rise of black entertainment television to a life of wealth and privilege. But believe me when I tell you, I had to walk through fire to get here. And after many years of staying silent, oh dear, I'm ready to reveal how it all went down in hopes that my story might help other women who find themselves facing the fire too. Now I know a little bit about how it all went down. There have been DC stories for years. Last but not least, Nothing is Missing by my friend Nicole Walters. Nicole's been on the show before. She had a reality series about her family. I can't remember the network that it ran on. Was it Lifetime? But she came on Ratchet and Respectable then to talk about her show. But now she has a new book. It's a memoir. So many memoirs these days. Britney Spears has one too. But a memoir of living boldly. So I know like a good chunk of this story because Nicole and I have been friends for a while. And we have dinners with wine when we're in the same city. Funny enough, we're just talking about Sheila Johnson. I met Nicole when I was out at Salamander for New Year's Eve. I was there with my cousin for the holidays and she was there with one of her friends. But we've had many brunches and lunches and spa dates since then. We talked a lot about life and living as women do. So I know a bunch of her story, but I'm sure there's so much more. So I'm looking forward to reading her book. She's been a good friend to me. Last but not least, we need to talk about Britney Spears has a memoir coming out. I think it was just announced today. So like the same trickle of information that's been coming out, like about Jada Pinkett Smith, it's the standard rollout anytime a big celebrity does a memoir. They're doing 50 million interviews. They're talking about different subjects and different interviews because everybody wants to have an exclusive. You can't tell people and Good Morning America and the New York Times all the same story. Everybody wants fresh stories. So you get a lot of information from people rolling out very strategically over the week leading up to the drop of the book and then a couple weeks after. But so far, what I've read for Brittany, she talks about what life was like under her conservatorship. I saw the headline. I didn't get a chance to dive into it. We might talk about it next episode, depending on what it is. But the big bombshell, and I want to say I saw this on The Shade Room, and I was like, The Shade Room covers white people? I guess black people like Britney Spears. She had an abortion for Justin Timberlake? She says they got pregnant. She wanted to keep the baby. Justin was like, no, and we're too young and absolutely not. And so she said she had an abortion for him. This is the same Justin Timberlake that after they broke up, made that Cry Me a River video with the Britney lookalike and was very callous toward her. After the woman was pregnant for you, you acted like that? Apparently, I don't know if this was confirmed as true. I want to say Britney's memoir was supposed to come out a while ago and Justin Timberlake and his lawyers had been holding it up because they knew she was going to talk about his ass. I'm actually very excited about Britney's memoir. I mean, this is 20 years ago now, but she really like went left and it seemingly never recovered. And I want to know like what happened. It's not really my business, but if she's writing a memoir and she's ready to share, I'm ready to read and find out. A lot happened to Britney and it was just a different time. I'd like to think that people would be more sensitive understanding now but then I also look at what's happening to Jada and I'm like y'all motherfuckers don't care we kind of specialize in the culture it's like trying to push people over the edge and then be shocked when they fall over it like oh my god how could she like what did you think was gonna happen my analogy for that is always like tiny 
T.I.'s tiny or tiny, tiny. I mean, it's not like she's defined by her husband. Tiny Harris. Like people made fun of her appearance for years. And then she started getting surgeries to her body. She went somewhere overseas and got some ice blue Smokey Robinson eyes. And people were like, why do you keep cutting up your body? Why would you go get those blue eyes? And I was like, y'all sat around and told this lady how unattractive she was, how undeserving she was with her husband. Question how he could look how he does, be successful as he is, even though he was with her before all the fame. When they met, she was the famous one. He was trying to get on. And when the woman actually went and got alterations, people were like, well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't she? Hmm. And there are 50 million examples of us as a culture doing that to people. You told me I wasn't shit and then I went and tried to be shit and now you're still complaining? Yeah, that's kind of what we do. <sighs> Jada, I'm not going there. Y'all get mad at people for getting divorced 24-7, complain all the time about women taking half. The woman ain't getting divorced. The woman ain't trying to take half. Motherfucker still complaining. Okay, now I'm done. I'm going to read the book. I'll have more to say next episode and I'll make a decision about whether we're going to do a whole episode on the Jada book. So if you're planning to read the Jada book, if you have not already picked up your copy, done your audible, everybody doesn't like to flip a page. I like to write in the margins. That's just my thing. Of the four books that I bought, we're going to start with Jada. So at least the first hundred pages by Tuesday. I'll put it at the end of the episode. So if you don't finish, I won't give spoilers and you're still able to enjoy the rest of the episode. Deal? Okay. We'll be back. I said Tuesday. I meant Friday. Lord God, I need a nap. Friday. 100 pages by Friday. I'll put it at the end of the episode. Okay? All right. Talk Friday. Not on Tuesday. I mean Tuesday too. But talk Friday first. Okay, I'm going to edit. And sit under the steamer. Because it makes my hair stay curly. Okay, bye.